it was good. It was, um, yeah, very, very good. Kids didn't kill each other, so <laughs> I think I can call it a success, really. That's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> It's Friday, September the 2nd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast live from to Apple. No, it isn't, but... Uh, <laughs> from France. Yes, live from case. France. See, you've got a long way from to Apple uh, this, yeah. week, this week. Paul. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you eaten any snails yet? Uh, not yet, not yet. Right, right. No. Okay. Glennis yeah. Grace hasn't brought them yet to me, so... Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This is the Dutch News Podcast, uh, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands uh, over the summer and in the last week. I'm Gordon Darroch, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Rampiatorist, and with me today <laughs> is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Evergreen, Evergiven Meme Fan. Um, yeah. Uh, we have a depressing episode in front of us. We have an incredibly depressing episode, yeah. yeah. Mostly yeah. because, yeah, uh, everything that has happened during the summer was very depressing, very worrying, very uh, troublesome. Yeah, very so, anxious, uh, yeah. yeah. We're, yeah. All, we're all a bit poorer, um, a bit hotter, um, a bit more worried about uh, yeah, uh, COVID. Um, but at least we've got a roof over our head, unlike uh, the hundreds of people who are sleeping outside uh, at the Apple Refugee Center. That's right. Night. And so, we haven't been visited by Glennis Grace. Yes. So th th those are two things that we need to hang on to, two straws of hope that we need to hang on to. Exactly. Yeah. And um, we also haven't been, um, yeah, fortunately, we, 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 we haven't had our Amazon deliveries held up by a month because uh, a tank has got stuck <laughs> in the Suez Canal again. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it was l last night. No, no, no. Uh, two nights ago, yeah. uh, I was, you know, scrolling through Twitter and all of a sudden I saw this breaking news tweet from one of these uh, news, uh, news websites, which yeah. said that. Uh, there was another ship stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody thought, oh no, here we go again. Yeah, everyone, uh, and everyone started digging out all the memes from, yeah. um, from the, when the Ever Given got stuck. Thinking, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, unfortunately for, for the Netherlands, this happened, I think, somewhere around midnight. So a lot of people just didn't see it yet. Uh, and then when we woke up, uh, it turned out that this ship was uh, yeah, uh, towed away and uh, yeah. uh, uh, the Suez Canal was free again. So yeah, yeah that was very unfortunate. Yeah. We had one one uh, uh, a positive thing looking forward to, and that was all the Suez Canal memes yeah. coming back again. Yeah. And even that was taken away from us. So yeah, yeah. it r truly was a, a depressing summer. Yeah, it was a summer with no yeah yeah no light relief whatsoever uh, at no. all yeah i'd say that this this particular um can contain a ship i think was about sort of two-thirds the size of the ever given wasn't it? it was a lot easier to maneuver and i think they've had a bit of practice in how to move ships in the canal since uh, that episode so yeah it was it was it was a lot uh, uh, the ship was a lot uh, smaller uh, i think it was a, a crude oil tanker yeah. Uh, yeah. it was uh, partly empty so yeah it was uh, you know not these uh, thousands and thousands of containers uh, uh, st uh, um, uh, uh, stacked on top of it yeah um, so yeah it was a lot easier to uh, to uh, tow it away they didn't have to call the dutch so that was uh, yes. uh, yeah uh, a good thing i think absolutely um, yeah. yeah things didn't get that desperate and um, yeah, world trade is uh, still going strong. Yeah, 
Indeed, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, so, because if they called in the Dutch, the the ship would probably was sailed away under an upside down Dutch flag as well. The farmers would have got involved and <laughs> towed it away with some tractors. Or and something. Johan Johan Remkes was probably the captain of that tow ship. Exactly, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's busy now. Yes, yes. Yeah, so again, he's he's got another three or four jobs, and I imagine Remkes is going to get even more busy over the coming months because yeah. the disasters are just piling up, as we'll hear in the course of the episode. Um, but yes, yeah, so speaking of disasters, obviously this year it was the 350th anniversary of the Rampia, and uh, we seem to be doing our level best to uh, to, to, re- to do some kind of historical reconstruction. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. At the moment, I think uh, there was a poll I think yesterday that said uh, what, f- 49% of people now have uh, no confidence in the government. So uh, or, little or, or no or they, confidence, or little yeah. or no confidence, or they think that the uh, politics is heading in the wrong direction. So yeah, a lot of dis- simmering discontent, uh, which isn't about. even a, a, a low point. Uh, it has been lower, I think, in 2015. So yeah, uh, yeah it is, uh, um, uh, but but it's not uh, not not going in the right direction. Uh, no, no, definitely no. Yeah. no. We're, we're, we haven't quite got to the point where we're going to uh, lynch and barbecue the prime minister. But, uh, <laughs> yes, not, uh, yet, not, not yet, not yet. Did, no. did you see that uh, Mark Rutte uh, for the first time? Uh, said something about his uh, his future if he leaves politics. Ah, no, I think I did see a glancing reference to this, but to be honest, I haven't been paying a lot of attention last uh, in the last week while <laughs> I was away five on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was an Instagram live session uh, where, where people could ask him questions and someone asked him what he was if he already had plans if he was going to leave politics. And yeah. until now, the assumption was that he was just ever, uh, for, forever staying in politics. But uh, for the first time, he said that, uh, yeah, after his term as prime minister ends, he's probably going to leave uh, politics and he wants to make make himself useful which right. uh, gives a suggestion that he probably thinks that he's not useful now uh, <laughs> at least that's how, <laughs> how I interpreted this um, but he is uh, he's also a part-time teacher right on, on Monday morning he, yeah, so yeah, he, once, he, once a week he teaches at a, a technical college anyway so uh, no it's a, a VMBO uh, school right, um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah a middle school uh, but he he did say that um, as a teacher you never have to worry if you're useful or not because you always are so yeah he was it was sort of a hint that he was maybe thinking about right. becoming a teacher, full-time yeah. teacher. Doing Who more knows? teaching. Yes. Yeah. We shall see. Um, so, a, l- a lot of disasters and car crashes to talk uh, um, everyone through this week. But perhaps, um, not the worst, but perhaps the most glaring was up at uh, to Apple Refugee Center where there was uh, yeah, just a, um, a catastrophic uh, uh, misjudgment, <laughs> I think, of the mood which uh, served our op-hef of the week. Yeah, it's actually two ophefs in, 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 in one week, so uh, a, a bonus ophef uh, yes. as well. Yeah, um, the ophef of the week comes from Ter Apel. We will hear more about what's going on uh, at the National Asylum Seeker Registration Center later in the episode. Spoiler alert, it is an absolute clusterfuck. Um, ophef broke loose after the Red Cross and Médecins Sans Frontières. Médecins Sans Frontières, yeah. Ah. Yeah. which we will insist on calling the French name on this ep- on this because podcast. Because that's his actual name, yes. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, there was someone on the internet who was annoyed that uh, Dutch News was using the French name, even though they, act, you know, this, this organization uses that name uh, itself. In Dutch, it's Artsen zonder grenzen. Yeah. Uh, so maybe she was just used to that. I don't know. Yeah. Or do- Doctors um, Without Borders. 
Doctors Without Borders, yeah. Do school French, yeah. Um, well, they described the conditions at their Apple as inhumane, and uh, none other than the podcast's favorite B celebrity, Glennis Grace, announced on Instagram that she was going to do something about that. Uh, you might remember her from a previous Ophef when she and a group of friends attacked a teenage supermarket worker in a jumbo in Amsterdam. Um, she called on people to donate clothes and other stuff which she could personally hand out to asylum seekers at their Apple, who were forced to sleep outdoors. But many people on the internet questioned whether she was really acting out of the goodness of her heart or if it was simply a PR stunt to polish her, yeah, quite tainted image. Mm. Um, more Ophef emerged after Grace arrived with seven carloads of stuff. They simply started to hand everything out at the side of the road, which caused absolute chaos, <laughs> even more chaos at their Apple. Um, a day later, eight organizations said they were very unhappy with the uncoordinated way Glennis Grace had operated, and they asked people not to come to their Apple on their own initiative. Um, the singer responded very irritated, basically saying that the Red Cross should shut its mouth, uh, adding that she only experienced very grateful reactions from the asylum seekers. Mm. Um, yeah, she, she also brought a lot of uh, unuseful stuff. So yeah, it also yeah. caused a lot of uh, uh, a lot of garbage on the side of the road because you know she, she had brought stuff that people just didn't need at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. The attentions were there, but the uh, execution was uh, was a li- mm-hmm. little bit, uh, was little lacking, bit off. Lacking, yeah. 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 Uh, but this wasn't the only Ter Apple Ophef, because on Tuesday, daily talk show Op1 made a lot of people raise their eyebrows after it announced they would have a special Ter Apple-themed episode, mm. broadcasting live from the tent camp outside the Asylum Seeker Center. The episode was filled with guests working in and around Ter Apple, and that was their official reason to just do it there because you know they had so many people coming from Ter Apple. It yeah. was you know logistically handier yeah, to yeah, just it's uh, kind of a, a very sort of efficient, um, yeah, um, low uh, low budget solution, which is a very. Uh, that's uh, yeah. Th- that's what they claimed. Yeah. Um, the, the mayor of Resterwolde was, for example, a guest there. Uh, locals and other people working for the COA. Yeah. But Ophef literally exploded after a group of asylum seekers emerged in the background, uh, separated from the talk show table with glasses of wine, uh, and they yeah they were standing behind a tall fence. So yeah, yeah it was a very painful um, painful scene. Uh, uh, the episode itself, the location caused Ophef, but after yeah. it, this uh, this happened. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, um, it was just it, a visual it, contrast to, between the celebrities or, the, or the, the commentators, the pundits sitting around a table drinking wine and these people who probably hadn't had a chair to sit on or anything to drink um, or a bed to sleep in or had a shower for the last week standing behind bars looking basically like they were in a, in a human prison yeah um, yeah or, or a human zoo i think people were, were comparing it to it was it was just a, just a terrible terrible look and how they didn't fathom uh, at the outset that it was going to end up looking like that that, that this uh, sort of grotesque sort of a you know, um, sense of like uh, overprivileged pundits sitting around ch- ch- chatting around while people are literally yeah suffering from diseases and there's a three-month-old baby dying in the uh, in, in the camp like literally meters away from where they were it was a terrible misjudgment basically. exactly yeah. yeah but uh yeah the uh, the the view ratings were through the roof uh, so yeah the, i think the the people producing this uh, this talk show were very happy with that yeah, probably thought it was a success yes yeah so this week, the government is facing a cost of living crisis, an asylum crisis, a farming crisis, an earthquake crisis, and a royal health crisis. So it's just as well it's comcomitite and there's no serious news happening. <laughs> 
The government has put together a 16 billion package of measures to try to ease the pain of the impending cost of living crisis, but with inflation shooting up past 13% this month and gas and electricity prices going through the roof, the question is will the help come soon enough to those who really need it? I love that you just added the word try in this uh, in that first sentence because it wasn't <laughs> yeah. scripted but uh, I think no. it is uh, was very very well uh, yeah f- a very good addition to uh, to this sentence yeah I think it's a fair reflection of the uh, yeah actual uh, state of play at the moment I yeah. agree um, Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Finance Minister Sigrid Kaag said the deal was a handsome package uh, but the new measures won't actually take effect before January the 1st because of uh, bureaucratic reasons you'll be uh, unsurprised to know the tax office and other agencies need time to implement them and things like uh, reforming um, uh, various benefits uh, can only be done basically on january the first apparently um but the government's economic analysis bureau cpa base is spending power is going to go down by 6.8 percent this year um one in ten children are now living in poverty and the nibud budget institute is warning that one third of households are struggling to make ends meet and that includes people who are earning above the modal income so don't you don't you just love that 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 uh, inflation has been uh, rising and rising uh, for months now, and yeah. the government is finally uh, putting together a package to deal with that, and uh, all of a the sudden they say, well, oh, Prinsjesdag is three weeks uh, from now. We're just gonna wait three weeks before we're actually going to tell everybody what we're what we're going to do, and on top of that, it will yeah. not come into effect for another three months. Yeah, um, yeah, it's. Uh, that kracht all over again. Yeah, it's exactly yeah, it's exactly the issue. And it is like uh, yeah, I don't know we're gonna, whether we're going to get a ramp yeah, but certainly it's, it seems to be heading for a ramp herfst, uh, <laughs> a, 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 yeah, a, a disastrous autumn uh, for, yeah. for a lot of people's household budgets. And and the king is 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 uh, staying at home because he has uh, uh, a cough or what 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 is it actually exactly yeah, the, he has? The, the king is working from home. He got uh, again. Uh, he he had uh, what's been described as a lung infection. Uh, no suggestion. It's, it's COVID. Uh, I, in fact, I haven't even seen Thierry Pedro suggest it's the vaccine. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if he's maybe unwell as well. He seems yeah. to, the, the king had to cancel a work trip to the United States this week um, because the long flight uh, was, uh, w- wasn't was good for yeah, somebody with a lung infection. Uh, the, 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 that's how he learned about his illness. Uh, but he, he, although he wasn't able to travel to the United States, he was able to travel up to Apple the day before. Um, <laughs> which is which is just a, a journey that's almost as long as flying to, to New York, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just hope he didn't uh, bring something with him that was even worse than what was in uh, Glennis Grace's uh, bags. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah, but but I I my I suspect that maybe he's not even uh, able well enough to to deliver the speech from the throne on on Prince's Dog. So uh, yeah, w- why just wait for that? Uh, if uh, if the king is probably ill, uh, you know the, the the reasoning is we don't want the king to sit there and not delivering anything new, uh, yeah. even even though yeah. Uh, things are pretty desperate right now. So they are desperate. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. not great. Yeah, no, it'll be pretty interesting to see if the king's uh, recovered uh, uh, in time for to, for Budget Day. But uh, anyway, we, we wish him well with his recovery. Um, and uh, presumably, his doctors prescribed a couple of paracetamol and a cup of tea as well. So, uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, c- come back in a couple of weeks if it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. If, 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 if your symptoms haven't improved. Nah. Yeah. Um, so uh, naturally, uh, some elements from this package are leaking because that's uh, always what's happening. Goes, uh, yeah. Do we know uh, what do we know? What's what's in it? Uh, so first of all, uh, they're going to put up the minimum wage by ten percent next year, uh, which is a lot more than uh, what they pledged in the coalition agreement, which was a staggered increase of two and a half percent over three years. Uh, there's also be a rep- 
receipt of the 1300 euro um, payment for the lowest earners uh, to pay help pay their energy bills so that was originally 800 euros just before the summer they put it up to 1300 and now they'll say and that that's this year and now they'll do it again next year um, and also they're going to uh, increase housing benefits and healthcare allowances which again are benefits that go towards the poorest families and also child support for low-income families as well mm. is also going to increase so um, yeah more money for the people who've got the least and petrol and diesel will continue to be taxed at a lower rate of nine percent right through till next july and uh, in a staggering development it's actually cheaper now to buy petrol in the netherlands and germany because germany <laughs> had a three-month tax relief that just ended um yesterday first september so we we're going to suddenly yeah. see lots of german car drivers driving across the border and um filling up their tanks as long as they're not coming with tanks we're happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, income tax has also been cut for the lowest tax band so that people's earnings are at the bottom end of the scale will get some tax relief and there's more money as well for students living away from home because obviously their bills go up too exactly um, so <laughs> the question is with all these things especially yeah. if you're going to lower for example the um, what's what's an oxines in English uh, the uh, duty duty on uh, fuel, ah. fuel yeah for example, if you're lowering the duty on fuel, um, which is what we always say, a milk coup, right? It's a yeah. milking cow. Uh, lots of money for the government comes uh, comes in through that. If you're going to lower it, it needs to come back from somewhere else, right? Yeah. So yeah. Who, how are we going to pay for all this? Uh, well, they're going to tax uh, businesses and wealthy people. Uh, ah. in a nutshell so the the tax on box three savings so if you have uh, yeah um, uh, money saved investments uh, that you include in your tax return that will be taxed harder um, uh, from from next year uh, which will bring in well go up in stages but eventually they want to bring in next to 300 million a year uh, the lower the bottom rate of corporation tax is also going up um, from 15 percent to 19 percent uh, and so, so that will be for all businesses and there will be higher taxes as well on commercial property sales so the percent that the government takes on hmm. the sale of all commercial buildings but not not houses so not just regular house sales ah, um, good. there'll also be higher taxes on shareholdings owned by company directors and on the profits of oil and gas companies because obviously they are the one type of business that's making a lot of money at the moment uh, so they'll have some kind of windfall tax uh, but they're also raising tax-free allowances for employees, so they get a more generous uh, sort of um, tax break in their tax return. But self-employed people are having their allowance cut um, to uh, yeah. So, so yeah, so if you're self-employed, uh, you, you'll be paying higher energy bills, but not actually getting um, the same mm. generous benefits as people who are um, in salaried jobs. So uh, yeah, again, the the the, the government, the Fefezela government, after enthusiastically liberalising the economy over the last last 10 years has now decided that uh, people should just uh, have steady jobs instead and uh, <laughs> it's going to penalize freelancers for taking advantage of all those uh, yeah for, for being what they used to call smart slimmer underneamers yeah smart entrepreneurs not so smart uh, after all they yeah. seem to think yeah yeah yeah, I uh, literally do not know where to start with this story, but uh, yeah, the crisis of the refugee registration center in Apple has spiraled out of control during the summer. I think that's fair to say. Mm -hmm. uh, for months, hundreds of people were forced to sleep on the grass outside the center without adequate sanitary accommodations. And at some point during the summer, this number has risen to 700. I think that was last week, wasn't it? I think um, it was, yeah. Or, uh, last week or the week before, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So 700 people uh, sleeping outside on the grass in, in makeshift tents because beds couldn't be found. Uh, conditions uh, in Ter Apel worsened so much that the Red Cross and uh, for the first time in Dutch history made a Sans Sans Frontières. Uh, there we are again in French. I hope I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> we're asked to step in and provide emergency shelter, calling the conditions inhumane. Yeah, uh, it's a staggering development, really, when you think that... Uh, Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières. There is an organization that you usually see working in war zones, you know, in places like uh, Syria, Ethiopia, um, you know, the, the, the most desperate people in the most desperate refugee camps. They've now been asked, and, and, and they intervened because the government asked them to step in because they said, yeah. you know, we need volunteer help. We're not able to cope with the numbers of people at the refugee reception center. Yeah, and the Red Cross uh, opened a service center, which was forced to close twice because of safety concerns. Uh, yeah, fights were breaking out. Of course, these were these are appalling conditions. Fights broke out in the yeah. tents, uh, and it was also overwhelmed by inquiries. So yeah, they had to uh, shut its doors uh, on, yeah. on two occasions. Yeah, um, yeah. and then also a very in, a separate development, but one I thought that said uh, was such a very very Dutch development is that for the other refugees that have been coming into the country this year, obviously the Ukrainians. Uh, the there's a problem because the government has run out of stickers. They, don't, they can't <laughs> produce enough stickers for to show to sort of. I, I don't even know quite what these stickers are for. But uh, if you're a Ukrainian refugee, you get a different sort of. I have to say more more, more generous kind of treatment from the government than the, than the people who have to show up at to Apple. And uh, you have a sticker to show that you are a a, a Ukrainian national. Um, mm. I think uh, yeah, so, so that you can claim your your immediate rights to benefit and the right to work in the country, and so uh. on. Um, visa free um, because they got that dispensation, but. Uh, they've actually now said they I think originally they wanted to make sure that every Ukrainian had a sticker by um, uh, by the end of this month but now extended it to November because they just can't produce the stickers fast enough well, in a uh, similar uh, bureaucratic uh, uh, fashion, um, the Gemeente Westerwolde sent in BOAS to Ter Apel to uh, right. get rid of the tents that were uh, put up there. That's right, um, yeah. The COA had organized yeah, some larger tents, but those weren't nearly uh, large enough to, to accommodate everyone there. So uh, a lot of people just brought their own little tents, but they weren't allowed there because of uh, th there was no permit uh, for campsites. So yeah, they had to get rid of it, basically. Yeah. Uh, also because uh, you know it's it's simply not safe and uh, you don't yeah. know what people are uh, uh, keeping there uh, what people are keeping there if they have CDs of Glennis Grace there for example exactly, you don't yeah. want anything no, I mean the idea uh, like that people that. might be smuggling in dire straits uh, CDs is, even is, is worse just, yeah you know, I mean the commission the conditions are inhumane enough already exactly yeah, yeah. Um, and also, um, a lot of sports halls in the areas were being prepared as uh, overspill centers. Uh, and uh, yeah, there was also a very tragic incident. We already mentioned it. Uh, mm. A three-month-old baby died in one of these sport halls. Uh, and uh, that, that uh, uh, incident is still being investigated, what, what the cause is. But yeah, it says a lot that uh, we have uh, yeah, babies dying in these uh, situations um, that you really don't want people in. No, and they discovered things like I think uh, you know, the, 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 a lot of people who uh, travel are quite vulnerable in terms of their personal health. They found diabetic uh, patients who'd run out of insulin, and there was uh, the, 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 yeah, they had no drugs. And also, they, 
that nobody had actually registered the fact that they were a diabetic and they needed mm. they needed medicine. It was absolutely chaotic. People with um, developed skin conditions because they hadn't had a shower for a week because they'd been sleeping outdoors and they just hadn't been had access to any sanitary facilities. It was really quite, I think, shameful for a wealthy country to be unable to provide this kind of basic care and sanitation um yeah, for for people who'd, who who arrive having fled, you know, war zones and desperation um, in other parts of the world. Yeah. So, what's the government actually been doing um, about the crisis? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, the cabinet has come under fire because uh, you know it has been warned about the deteriorating overcrowding problems at the Apple for months, uh, and still allowed the situation to escalate like this. Uh, the cabinet says that the main problem is that there are not enough houses available for asylum seekers who are allowed to stay. Um, Perhaps it's uh, handy to uh, to uh, explain uh, the, the asylum seeking pr- procedure in the Netherlands. Uh, if someone arrives here, they all have to go to Ter Apel, where the registration center mm. is, uh, where they uh, apply for asylum. Uh, that takes, on the normal circumstances, that takes usually two or three days. Uh, and then they are sent to, to one of the other asylum seeker centers spread over the country, where they wait until the IND um, uh, uh, assesses their their application and decides whether they can stay or not. And if they are allowed to stay, um, the government will search for a house for them um, uh, where they can live, a, a, a normal house, uh, yeah. so, so to speak. Um, uh, in the latter part, uh, uh, that's where the real problem is. There's simply not enough houses. So a lot of people who are allowed to stay and are waiting for uh, uh, housing, they have to stay in the uh, asylum seeker centers because mm. there's no way, no place for them to go. Yeah, so there's a and blockage that mean- in the system, basically. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. that means that uh, people who arrive in Ter Apel, who are uh, supposed to stay there for only two or three days, they can't be transferred to the other asylum seeker centers because they are full as well and mm. that's what causing these overcrowding problems in Drenthe uh, sorry in Groningen in Ter Apel yeah, um, um, yeah the, the, then you say well wh- why not uh, why do we have so little asylum seeker se- centers then Clearly, yeah. we have a capacity problem over there as well. That has to do with um, uh, the policy of the government that we have now for, I think, 10 or 15 years. And that yeah. is w- what they say, a, a JoJo uh, uh, <laughs> policy, right? A, 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 a yo-yo effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, what the government does is um, it just makes an assessment on how many asylum seekers do we expect next year. And based on that number, they arrange for um, uh, for for a place in asylum seeker centers. COA yeah. is paid per bed that is used. So uh, uh, it has an incentive to scale down um, the number of asylum seeker centers yeah. if they expect a lower number. Well, yeah. of course, this year we had, or, or actually a year ago, we had, of course, the fall of Kabul. Uh, a lot of uh, yeah. Af- Afghan people went to the Netherlands. They ended up in the asylum um, procedure. Yeah. And uh, that is what the backlog has caused. But we don't mm. have enough asylum seeker centers because in previous years, COVID, there were the, the number of uh, applications was very low. So we scaled down it, uh, scaled it down a lot. And yeah, yeah mayors who, COA is now um, uh, dependent on mayors and on municipalities who are willing to set up emergency asylum seeker centers. But they have been uh, uh, put in this position for 
couple of times now in the past 10 years or so they are asked yeah. can you can you arrange something and the municipality does that that's of course a very uh, intensive logistical operation it costs mm. a lot of time and money and and effort uh, and then the coa says well we don't need it anymore you can close it and then two years later they come back and they ask again for that so yeah that's also local mayor, yeah local mayors and local municipalities are always reluctant as well to accommodate more asylum seekers in their locality because there's always local protests as we saw in Tibet and Twente which we'll mention in a minute but you have to say I mean if you if you tried if you wanted to devise an asylum system that was as difficult and obstructive for asylum seekers as possible then what would you do you would you would have only one asylum reception center you'd put it in a corner of the country that's incredibly hard to reach and then you'd have this um, yeah, throughput uh, system where um, and then you give financial incentives for the accommodation service to shut beds as soon as it could and yeah. have this kind of uh, yeah this fragmented system where you you have to negotiate painstakingly with local authorities every time you want to find more accommodation for people I mean it's a recipe for disaster and a lot of it I think is driven by the government wants to scale down uh, restrict the number of people uh, applying for asylum and putting in as many disincentives as, as possible because of this argument they always come up with that uh, if you if your provision is too generous it has what they call an Ansauch and a Werking um, and it, it, it's too attractive and people will just you know, you'll start to attract economic migrants which I mean I think when you see the consequences of, of that and you see that you know, what's happening where you know, people are living in desperate circumstances uh, in, uh, in, or, or literally on the grass outside the door of the asylum seeker centre I mean that's a direct that, that's not an accident so a direct consequence of 10 years of uh, a government that uh, has been trying to put up barriers towards uh, claiming asylum in the country uh, at every stage and in a way, we saw a similar thing with the uh, 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 in the COVID pandemic, right? It turned yeah. out that the healthcare system was had no redundancy whatsoever. It was just designed uh, for for uh, you know a normal capacity. But as soon as there is a crisis or there's something, we we need a little bit more beds than usual. Then uh, you see that the system fails. And and yeah. a similar thing we see here as well. Even though this is by design. <laughs> yeah, and there were people uh, warning seems. for months that the the system. Yeah was under strain it was vulnerable and that uh, as you say i mean the the, the fall of uh, kabul in afghanistan was a year ago so we've had a you know and and, and, and there's a war going on in syria obviously there's a war in ukraine as well again ukrainians don't come to apple here but there's another uh, setup for them but anyway you see that uh, at any point if there was a sudden increase in demand for asylum around europe because of instability elsewhere in the world that the system was 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 going to burst and sure enough yeah. that's what's happened yeah. If you uh, want to know more uh, about this, I uh, recommend the NRC Vandaag uh, podcast episode yeah. of Wednesday. They had a very w uh, good episode uh, explaining uh, how the asylum seeking uh, procedure works, uh, where the um, uh, where the bottlenecks are and what the, what the real problems are. Uh, unfortunately, it is in Dutch, so uh, if you uh, don't speak that, then yeah, yeah. this recommendation is no use for you. Yeah. But uh, if you do, then uh, I would uh, I would rec recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, what's also noteworthy, uh, what happened, I think you already mentioned it, the situation in Tebergen, there um, the COA had bought a, an abandoned hotel uh, with the aim of um, uh, putting 300 Asylum seekers there, um, but yeah, the the, the village basically ca uh, came in an uprise. Mm. Um, they, they started to protest uh, 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 this plan. Um, the government went ahead with it uh, 
anyway, despite the, the fact that the local council had uh, voted it away. But uh, there are new rules now where uh, uh, the government, the national government, can uh, sort of overrule uh, local authorities. And that's what they did uh, here as well. Um, and that sparked uh, even more protest. And um, last Monday, there was even an uh, attempted arson on that hotel, or at least that's what the police expected. Mm. So, yeah, we see, especially here, um, uh, also things escalating out of control. And uh, it shows that in some parts of the Netherlands, uh, especially the smaller communities, there is a lot of resistance uh, uh, against asylum seeker centers. Um, This all reminded me very much of a similar situation in 2015 in the Drenthe village of Oranje. There uh, there was a similar situation. Uh, um, uh, I think it was a campsite which was uh, uh, being um, used as an asylum, uh, an emergency asylum seeker center, prompted a lot of protests. Uh, the famous scene where the car of uh, of then junior minister uh, uh, Klaas Dijkhoff almost ran over yeah. uh, uh, a woman. Um, uh, but a, a couple of years later, uh, journalists went back there and they asked, "How was how how did it actually go?" There was a lot of you know resistance uh, uh, up front, but mm. at, in the end, they were very happy with it and they yeah. uh, didn't mind it at all. So yeah, it's uh, noteworthy, I think, to keep this in mind. It's it's important to keep this in mind that uh, uh, very often um, these resistance turned out to be. Um, um, it's impo- people's fears turn, turn out to be unfounded, basically. Yeah. They? But uh, yeah, but, but but they are genuine fears that that, um, that the government somehow has to accommodate. It's in a very it's put itself in an extremely difficult position. Uh, yeah, effectively, yeah. where if it forces these things through, it's going to it's, it's going to be attacked and uh, meet some quite stiff resistance. But if it doesn't, then you you, you continue to have uh, the desperate problems that uh, are there at Apple right now. Yes, and uh, the coalition um, met in an emergency meeting last week. Yeah. Um, there was a recess, of course, so yeah, they couldn't uh, couldn't meet sooner. Yeah. Um, they agreed on a number of uh, new measures in order to regain control uh, on the immigration crisis. They are going to construct more houses. They're going to use hotels and campsites as uh, emergency uh, asylum seeker centers. Uh, there's also going to be a temporary extra reception center on a nearby military base in uh, Ter- near Terapel. Yeah. Um, other plans have raised some eyebrows, though, by a humanitarian organization because the government announced it will tighten its asylum uh, policy by freezing the so-called Turkey deal um, under uh, EU um, under an EU agreement. The government uh, has to house a thousand asylum seeker for, seekers from Turkish camps, uh, but they say we we are going to stop that uh, mm. for the time being. Uh, and additionally, families will only be able to join uh, refugees who come here uh, alone to the Netherlands if they have found a suitable housing. So yeah. um, uh, uh, and, and they're trying to uh, minimize the uh, the number of people coming to the to the country uh, in that way. Yeah. But, 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 again, ma- but again, that's a, that on the face of it is a breach of the uh, uh, UN Convention on Refugees. Uh, which- uh, uh, so, exactly yeah. yeah and also a breach of the of the eu agreements yeah. um, um i'm sure they have some sort of uh, legal argument for that but um, uh, I, I didn't find it very convincing mm. but these measures led to uh, 
uh, one Vever Day MP, Daan de Neef, to resign from parliament uh, and also leave the Prime Minister's party as a member. Uh, in a statement, he said that uh, the measures are ice cold and he said that he expected more humanity from his party, especially after a baby died. And yeah. Yeah, he was very disappointed with um, uh, yeah, these, uh, these measures and also how his party reacted because the Vever Day also had an, an, an emergency meeting with members. It's, it's, uh, they, they, they basically asked uh, um, uh, their MPs to yeah, quit um, international agreements and international yeah. tre uh, tre uh, treaties rather than um, yeah, housing more people or, or, or accommodating them better. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I can understand how Dan and Nave was, was disappointed with that. Um, but it's interesting to see that all these criticism and backlash is directed to the Fever Day party, even mm. though we also have three other parties in this coalition yeah. who also agree with this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we haven't seen any uh, resignation or outspoken criticism from these parties, which I found uh, was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, but he he was very, he was specifically though. Um, um, yeah, uh, uh, protesting against his own party's measures, which was also interesting because uh, he was one of the two Fefe DMPs who actually drew up the party's manifesto um, for the last election, which called for quite hard measures against uh, refugees. And um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, he initially gained some praise uh, yeah. after his uh, uh, announcement that he was going to quit, but um, yeah. And then people started to think, and he, they said, "Well, if you just read the Fever Day Party manifesto, then his party is calling for much stricter measures than than are put in place right now. So, um, um, yeah, why do you resign now, and why did you de decide to, uh, yeah, become a candidate for yeah. for that party?" Um, given given their wishes on this on this point, um, so yeah, it's. Um, it's it's interesting. It's curious. Uh, yeah, it's curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, but, he's, yeah. but he's actually questioning the party, isn't he? So he's, he's not going to engage in a Zetelgolf. He's not going to no. stay as a one-man band. His, his seat will now, yeah, uh, be taken up by a different Fefe Day candidate um, and someone so, who is probably not as yeah. critical on the um, on the on the on the party's uh, asylum standpoint, so yeah. immigration standpoint. So, yeah, maybe it's um, from that point of view, it's not. Um, in his interest uh, that uh, yeah his seat is uh, probably being taken over by someone who is uh, not as critical as his yeah the farmers protests against measures to cut nitrogen pollution have been rumbling on this summer the government's all-purpose fixer johan remkes mr stickstoff is still leading the talks between the government and farmers organizations on how to cut nitrogen compound emissions by 50 percent before 2030 now that target has been um, under increasing pressure, and not least because in the last couple of weeks, Vopke Hoekstra, the leader of the Christian Democrat Party, and also the Foreign Affairs Minister, said in a media interview <laughs> that it wasn't sacred and the government should consider moving it if it helped farmers earn a fair living. That uh, kind of triggered some very raised eyebrows from his coalition partners, including the Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Finance Minister Sigrid Kaag. They insisted the figure was non-negotiable, and at an emergency debate sparked by Hoekstra's comments, Hoekstra fell back into line and said he still supported 
to the cabinet skulls. He seemed to sort of turn up at the debate with two hats on, basically. He said, I was yeah. speaking as the leader of the CDR party, not as foreign minister. But of course, he was called to the debate uh, in his capacity as foreign minister because that's how parliament works. Yeah, which is strange. There's foreign minister talking about national stickstoff levels. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So it constitutionally strange. And Margrethe also said that, uh, you know, after this interview came out with the AD uh, the next morning, Margrethe was asked, do you remember what happened to a junior minister who spoke out against uh, the cabinet's plans uh, in, in a newspaper interview? I'm referring, of course, to Mona Kaiser, who was yes. basically sacked after she criticized, uh, uh, I, I think, the uh, Corona QR access passes. Uh, it was, I yes. Believe it, was, it, was. it was the Corona yeah. passes, yeah. yeah. Uh, she was immediately kicked out, and now we yeah. have a similar situation with uh, uh, Robke Hoekstra. Uh, but Mark Rutte said, well, he is, uh, of course, also a party leader, and that mm. means that he has some a little bit more freedom than, than, <laughs> than, a, than a random junior minister, which uh, also... Uh, sparked a lot of questions. Yeah, because it's not a terribly convincing argument. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, and then the, this this debate, Tweede uh, Kamer uh, was recalled from recess, finally, because, yeah. you know, we had a lot of opposition leaders asking uh, uh, for the cabinet to come back from the summer yeah. break um, over all these uh, um, crises that we have been talking about. And then um, Sigrid Kaag was also asked to be present, but uh, yeah, she, she, uh, she was sick, uh, so yeah. she could come. Uh, <laughs> she had to go to hospital. Yeah, a lot of people thought it was just an excuse, but it turned out to be a little bit more serious than yeah. that. So uh, yeah. And uh, Wilders tabled a motion of no confidence in the cabinet, which I think is, is that the earliest recorded motion of no confidence uh, of the parliamentary year. I mean, it officially hasn't even started yet, right? That makes it uh, probably the latest motion of no confidence oh. uh, in the parliamentary year. Uh, could be, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, we get to a stage now where we get motions of no confidence even before the first um, paper notion have appeared in the shop. Yeah, that, that, that's how far just devalued the motion of no confidence as a parliamentary yeah. tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in all seriousness, it w- it was a pretty remarkable comment by 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 uh, by Hoekstra, especially yeah. because one of the other ministers, Van der Waal, the nitrogen minister, uh, she's been living under police uh, uh, security for for the past months now because of what she's doing in this crisis, and then all of a the sudden, you have this minister that um, yeah says uh, something like this for what. I can only assume it's very cheap political uh, points. Yeah, yeah. So, so this episode sort of shows that the uh, the four party coalition is under quite a bit of internal strain, and uh, basically now all the sides have agreed not to make any more public comment on the issue until after Budget Day, which is uh, in just over two weeks' time. So we'll see if that yeah. truth holds. What What do you think are the reasons that Hoekstra gave this interview? Uh, yeah, well, but I think basically he's he's under pressure within his own party to take a to, to try and distance himself from the government's uh, policy on nitrogen because they're shedding voters, and there's an election next year for the provincial elections, which also affects the makeup of the Senate. And I think uh, CDR members and actually you know, the whole party Hoekstra as well are worried that they're going to lose lose out on votes to the Boer Burgerbeweging, the Farmer Citizens Movement, led by Caroline van der Plas, which, according to opinion polls has now overtaken the CDR so the fear is that the farmers and the rural voters yeah. will be, become disillusioned with CDR and, and they blame it for you know, not standing up to you know, for the farmers in the cabinet um, and that, uh, that they will punish the party by deserting it at the at the polls. So I think Hoekstra, I mean the fact that he was trying to sort of 
play this very unconvincing dual role, I think shows that uh, he's he's caught in this absolute bind where on the one hand he's a cabinet minister, he's bound by cabinet responsibility and he has to support the coalition agreement that his party signed up to, but at the same time he wants to run the election campaign kind of as an opposition party you know, uh, within the cabinet. Um, yeah. And the only way to do yeah, that yeah, is to yeah. make these comments about, well, maybe we can negotiate a little bit on the on the nitrogen targets because the only way to stay on target to cut nitrogen emissions is to reduce the size of the cattle herd and have fewer livestock farmers and increasingly it looks like the only way to do that is through compulsory buyouts because they've tried a voluntary scheme none of the farmers have signed up to it and so at the same time they've drawn up this uh, nitrogen reduction map of uh, where they exactly need to cut uh, livestock farming uh, close to the uh, Natura 2000 areas which are protected by the EU and are the whole focus of this um, uh, this nitrogen reduction strategy because the provinces have now been given the task of actually uh, drawing up um, specific targets for how many farmers need to be bought out or need to stop work mm. and how many cattle uh, need to be uh, got rid of uh, but of course the provinces are reluctant to do that because yeah, it's the provincial elections next year and uh, they know they're going to get yeah. hit by that as well So, and then within the cabinet of course you have Desa Zesta who are very keen to go ahead with these targets and uh, reduce the size of the farming sector as part of the general kind of agricultural environmental protection reforms but the CDR and the Christian Uni and uh, I guess to a lesser extent the Fefe Day all want to kind of uh, accommodate the farmers who of course are putting up a very strong resistance to the whole thing and so we have this kind of you know, real tension between the parties now I mean Kach reportedly said at a ministerial council meeting that the trust is gone between her party Desa yeah. Zestach and uh, the CDR which would usually mean that the cabinet would fall which usually mean the party would withdraw from cabinet and it would fall yeah. but of course Desa Zestach are also I think facing a bit of an electoral backlash if they do that <laughs> yeah. well, they're already forecast to lose seats in election and generally speaking a party that withdraws from the cabinet uh, tends to get uh, punished by voters uh, yeah. at the elections that ensue. Yeah, it's in nobody's interest uh, electorally to to uh, pull back from this from this cabinet and uh, to to uh, have new yeah. elections. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just kind of a marriage of inconvenience, really, I guess, between the four parties yeah. because they can't really see an alternative. There's no gain for any of them for withdrawing from the government at this stage, especially with all these various crises erupting around them. I mean, that just looks like a complete failure of leadership. Yeah, and if you have such levels of distrust within the cabinet, yeah. that's probably not the best situation to lead a country with so many yeah. crises. So, uh, yeah. But uh, luckily for us, we have Johan Remkes. Yeah. Who should just be made dictator of the Netherlands, I think, now. Like, I mean, that's the only way we're going to fix all this. <laughs> yeah. Then he shouldn't visit the Senate because I think he will be stabbed yeah. a couple yeah. of times. And then hung upside down. At two, Wopke. But uh, yeah, how are his talks going? Talks are ongoing, first of all. And Remkes has managed to get the most radical protest groups uh, <laughs> like Agraxi and Farmers Defence Force around the table. Uh, so he must have uh, turned up a better source of cast angles. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, these groups have been pretty hardline and intransigent so far. They they basically want the government to scrap the nitrogen plans altogether. But Remke yeah. says that's out of the question because it's bound by a council of state judgment. He has said that, that the government's looking at alternative ways of controlling nitrogen emissions uh, through innovation and perhaps more money could be made available to modernize farming practices. The farms have kind of focused their criticism lately on a, a measure that's used to determine the maximum level of nitrogen compound emissions that are permitted in a particular area, which is no 
known as a critical deposit value, and they say this figure, basically, which is the only legal measure in um, the current nitrogen law, it, it produces unattainable targets because it's a flat measure of all mm. nitrogen deposits, which includes things like, you know, what blows in from offshore from the sea from or Germany, from over the border yeah. from other countries. Um, so even if they reduce all activity actually in the area, they still exceed the nitrogen targets. So the government said it is prepared to sort of consider using different measures and a slightly more flexible scale, but the you know, the actual 50% target is not going to change. And it's kind of bound there as well because uh, it's also been talking to environmental organisations like Greenpeace and Milieu Defensi and Mobilisation for the Environment, and they obviously don't want to see any watering down the plans, and they threaten to go back to court if the government doesn't comply with the council state's ruling. And of course, mm. mobilisation of the environment in particular have been very successful in launching court cases against the government to force it to enforce the agreements it's drawn up uh, within Europe. Yeah. So, yeah, if you spend some time outside the cities, then you probably have seen a lot of uh, flags hanging upside down yeah. in the area. Uh, th that's one protest. And are we going to see more of them? I suspect probably of the autumn, we probably will see the protests start up again. It has kind of waned over the summer. I think we haven't seen so many slow tractors on the motorways or burning hay bales or, or, or piles of manure under bridges. Farmers Defence Force had initially said it was planning the hardest protests yet for August, but then they called them off as a goodwill gesture, taking a leaf out of Vladimir Putin's book there um, towards the cabinet, <laughs> so very magnanimous of them. Um, Akhaxi said there will be more blockades of roads and uh, distribution centres. Um, they, they have pledged to keep the protests within the limits of the law but we'll see how that goes, given that uh, ministers are currently under police protection. Uh, the police, meanwhile, they, they seem to be taking a harder line now. They were criticised for being too soft on the protesters when the protests sort of flared up during the spring, but they now say they made more than 100 arrests and handed out 700 fines for things like uh, driving tractors onto motorways during mm. the, um, yeah, the, the, the first months of the protests. So, yeah, uh, that seems to have uh, um, maybe um, had some effect on, uh, on, on the scale and the, the extent of the protests that we've been seeing recently. It's the first Dutch News podcast since the summer break and our first opportunity to say thank you to our wonderful patrons whose generous donations enable us to keep you up to speed with all the latest news here in the Netherlands. All new patrons get a shout out on the next episode and the chance to ask us a question and you get access to our summer special episode about some of the most outlandish episodes in Dutch history. So if you want to avoid 2022 being your personal rampier, uh, make a donation to the podcast uh, so you can hear all about um, the colourful and curious events of, uh, among other things, the rampier and also around the Second World War. Um, which is more entertaining than it sounds in that uh, very short summary. <laughs> yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a few new patrons to thank since our last recording. So welcome and thank you to David Gould, to Boyan, to Will Clayton, who's from San Francisco and says, I've been living in Dumbos in Amsterdam with Peter, my partner of 15 years, and enjoy hearing Paul and Gordon make each other laugh about life below the rivers. So uh, given the complete lack of laughs in this week's podcast, we can only apologize. Um, and finally, thank you to Riley Henderson, who's in Southern California, but planning to move to the Netherlands, ASAP. I hope we're not putting you off. But uh, Riley says, we're falling <laughs> in love with the Dutch, the culture, the country, the bikes, and we can't wait to leave America, as you can imagine. And we've been working hard practicing Dutch for a while. And Riley does have a question for us, uh, says, um, we're trying to improve our skills well enough to integrate into Dutch society. And I'm curious to find what you found to be the best ways to learn Dutch. 
and how long it took you to feel comfortable with it. Um, and this is kind of a question we get quite frequently. I think, Paul, your sort of go-to standard reply is to watch the Yosh Journal. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can watch it from California. I think it's on YouTube, it's isn't geo-blocked. it? I think have a YouTube channel. Oh, yeah, yeah then... Um, yeah. Okay, well, then we should uh, link to that YouTube channel. Yeah, that's uh, the news uh, broadcast uh, uh, for, for children, basically, for your, for for children and teenagers. So, uh, yeah, they, they use very straightforward yeah. language, I think. And uh, they also talk about, uh, yeah, the news, also what happens in the Netherlands. So it's also a way to get in touch with what's going on in the country. So, but yeah, you're already listening to the Dutch News <laughs> podcast, so you don't really need that. Um, well, perhaps you do. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think... <laughs> oh, perhaps you do. Who knows? Um, so yeah, maybe that's. A, I I always give that yeah, as a tip. I think it's, I think it's good advice, and uh, probably and yeah, it does have the double advantage of uh, you, you're picking up the language and you're keeping up to speed with current events. So uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if, if we think of any more tips over the next few weeks, uh, we will uh, uh, be sure to include it. Yeah, and in terms of how long it takes to feel comfortable, I mean that's very difficult to say. It kind of depends on how much opportunity you have to really learn and speak the language. I have to say, once you move, I think you'll find that you improve a lot faster simply because it's all around you. Whereas yeah. if you're trying to learn it remotely and just doing a, a half an hour, an hour a day, uh, you find progress is, is very slow. And and also uh, uh, Dutch people, if they notice that you are from from England or from uh, from from America, they uh, tend to switch immediately to English, yeah. uh, which isn't useful if you're trying to learn the language. Yeah, it becomes quite intimidating for learners, I think. And I think Dutch people generally do it completely instinctively and without any malice. Yeah. But you sort of feel when it happens to you that you're being judged and that you're failing to learn the language. So I think yeah, the only tip is there to just keep trying to press ahead with Dutch. Even just say to the person because of you know because Dutch people are famously direct uh, they won't be insulted if you say look I'm I'm sorry I don't want to speak English with you I'm trying to learn your language they'll probably be quite actually quite appreciate that yeah yeah exactly so you can just yeah. say that and uh, uh, insist on speaking Dutch if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast log on to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Dutch News N-L while the Tweede Kamer is still officially on recess, the Parliamentary Inquiry Committee investigating the decade-long gas extraction in Groningen, which caused earthquakes and damage for local people, has restarted this week. One person who was hurt was the former Inspector General of Mining, a man called Jan de Jong, who uh, criticized ministers for failing to take its urgent advice to reduce gas extraction in 2013, following a series of very heavy earthquakes. De Jong told the inquiry committee that he suspected backdoor communications between the government and NAM, the joint venture owned by Shell and ExxonMobil, which was responsible for the gas extraction in Groningen. Another one who appeared in front of the committee was uh, Bart van der Leemput. He was the former NAM director and he told the inquiry that there was a long list of things that could have been done better. Uh, but he pointed the finger at NAM's shareholders, uh, Shell and ExxonMobil. They, alongside the state, were in charge of the scale of gas production and they had uh, yeah, urged uh, the NAM to, to uh, extract as much as possible, basically. Inquiry members uh, also pointed out that the NAM had also lobbied itself for more gas production. So, yeah, who's telling the truth here uh, is the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm covering their backs. The big fish that appeared in front of the committee, however, was the former economic affairs minister, Maxime mm. Verhagen, who you uh, probably know from uh, saluting to <laughs> Camille Erlings at the 2010 CDA Congress. 
Yeah, we should, we should link, link to, to, that. to yeah, the video yeah. in the liner yeah. notes. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. If you are coming to the Netherlands, this is an essential part of, of Dutch culture, I think. Yeah, as I have to say, Paul, if you ever get on Zomagasten, I imagine that is going to be your TV highlight, isn't it? <laughs> like a... <laughs> I'm just going. I'm just going to uh, to 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 ask to to broadcast the entire uh, Congress. Yeah. Um, is it ten hours? Is it ten hours? You could, because yeah, the I whole think so. But I, I, I tr- on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to rewatch it once, and it surprised me that uh, uh, they were actually talking very little about uh, you know this this uh, this coalition with the PVV they were going yeah. into. Uh, they were also talking about uh, the Hetwigpolder and all sorts of other yeah. agricultural issues, uh, which uh, I didn't remember this yeah. congress uh, to be so boring actually. <laughs> but yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, Verhagen told the uh, Parliamentary Inquiry Committee that the political bubble in The Hague had failed to recognize the seriousness of the situation in Groningen for decades. Uh, he also admitted that that uh, yeah he did that as a minister and he said that he regretted that he hadn't visited Groningen more often as a minister, especially after the province was hit by the biggest earthquake in its history in mm. 2012. And he also said that uh, he was never told of a crucial advice to reduce gas extraction, uh, the one that Jan de Jong uh, talked yeah. about as well. The uh, Parliamentary Inquiry Committee is the toughest um, uh, investigating um, thing the, the Parliament has to mm. its disposal. There are a couple of more planned uh, right, right in the in the near future, one yeah. on Corona and also on the Toeslag affair, the child benefit scandal. Uh, so yeah, we, we have a lot of parliamentary inquiries to look forward to i think and this particular one aims to find out who was responsible for incorrect decisions made damage done and money wasted in uh, compensation efforts uh, regarding the gas extraction the dutch government has taken profit from the gas extraction since the 1960s and made more than 417 billion euros yeah uh, according to the cbs yeah Yeah. and as yes and as you say that the parliamentary inquiry is is one of the most powerful tools that uh, parliament has at its disposal to uh, scrutinize government um there's an interesting little detail in this that um they have the power to call um uh, anyone uh, from the netherlands um to to give evidence on oath to, to the inquiry but they weren't able to call the head of Exxon who's obviously one of the 50% shareholders Hmm. in the NAM and do you know why that was? Uh, because he's not Dutch? Yeah he's Belgian Ah, Joost van Roost is a Belgian national so yeah he excused himself on those grounds so yeah, yeah. yeah Yeah, um, that that's the problem with these uh, international ventures right I think Yeah. yeah it's been a Eventful summer of sport, and uh, we don't have anything like enough time to cover it all, but uh, I thought we'd pick out a few highlights in case you missed them. Uh, Famke Boll became the first woman to win the 400 metres and 400 metre hurdles at the same major athletics championships uh, at the European Championships uh, last month in Munich. And then she won a third gold medal as a Yanka runner in the 4x400 metre relay team. Um, So she had a hand in half of the Dutch team's medals. They were all won by women. Um, and also uh, Famke Boll equaled the achievement of six other athletes, including Fanny Blanca's Kuhn, of winning three gold medals uh, at the same European Championships. It was a very, very exciting uh, race, wasn't it? This four, four by four hundred relay. Good, yeah. yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, she uh, overtook the the, the the two runners, the, the British and I think the Bel- the, was the Belgians or the Germans were also in the in the hunt. Uh, yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah, 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 in, yeah, in, yeah in the final yeah. straight. So yeah, yeah, that was a great race. Um, yeah, also Jessica Schilder and uh, Jorinda van Klinken won gold and bronze in the women's shot put, and uh, Nienke Brinkman got a bronze in the marathon. 
And there were uh, European Championships and other sports as well over the summer. There's kind of a multi-sports competition and the Dutch won 26 medals altogether, including eight gold medals in rowing and cycling and a bronze for the women's beach volleyball team. Hmm. So well done to all those individual athletes. Um, And in football, the Dutch women were unable to hold on to their European title. They lost 1-0 to France in the quarterfinals. Um, hmm. which was the end of the road for their English coach, Mark Parsons. But the English football team were coached by a Dutch woman, Serena Wiechmann, yeah. curiously. And, and she coached the winning Dutch team four years ago. So she was the one person, one Dutch person who did uh, retain her title because uh, she led England to victory in the final against Germany by two goals I think to we one. can claim this victory as, as a yeah. nation. Yeah, we should just yeah. do that. Again, yeah. it's kind of parallels of the Rampier, isn't it? Where, you know, a few years later, <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the Stadthard of Willem the third third went over and became uh, took the English throne so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, Sarina Wiegman the uh, William the third of, uh, <laughs> of English football 2022 yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so um, speaking of football is there any man's football news yeah depressingly there is I'm afraid uh, Erik ten Hag left Ajax at the end of last season to go to Manchester United and now he seems to be setting up basically a trust fund uh, to, to, <laughs> to, 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 to fund his old club because United um, finally landed the signature of the Brazilian winger Anthony this week after a very long um, and uh, quite uh, tedious uh, transfer negotiations but they had to shell out a club record fee of 100 million euros to buy him so wow uh, yeah yeah. Uh, the Amsterdam has immediately gone out and hired another South American winger Lucas Ocampas from Sevilla Um, uh, another Ajax player Edison Alvarez tried to jump ship to England as well uh, but uh, Ajax turned down a bid of 50 million from Chelsea 50 million was also the price tag PSV put on their wing forward Cody Gakpo who was a target of interest from several English clubs um, including Leeds United and Southampton but eventually he's decided to stay in Brabant and Groninger set a new club record by selling their 22 year old Norwegian striker Jürgen Strand Larsen to Celtic Vigo for 12 million euros Um, lots of money uh, being spent here Um, so um, speaking of Brabant uh, any other sports going on over there Uh, yeah the big sporting action in Brabant this year was the summer was in cycling the uh, Vuelta a España, the Tour of Spain, which uh, famously takes yeah. place quite a several hundred miles south of the Dutch border. Uh, but the Spain, <laughs> Spain, perhaps in another nod to the Rampia, decided to recolonize part of the <laughs> Netherlands for a couple of days this summer. Yeah, the and south <laughs> of the Netherlands, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. They, um, yeah, yeah, they held a few stages below the rivers, um, uh, going through, um, first starting off in Utrecht, and then uh, going through Den Bosch and Breda, which I imagine gave the cyclists some chance to stock up some supplies of uh, local products in Brabant. <laughs> before they went down to Spain, where they're still heading yeah, away. Yeah, which they desperately needed, probably, <laughs> yeah, and that scoring heat and all these mountains. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, they passed through uh, Rosendale. Oh, did they? Uh, yes, of course they did, yeah. Yeah, yeah they yeah. did, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the tour of, 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 of Spain going through Klundert, who, who could have imagined that? I know, that? exactly, yes, yeah, scandalous uh, <sighs> yeah, thing. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the race is going on. It finishes on September the 11th, um, currently led by the Belgian Remco Everpool, and he's 2 minutes 41 seconds ahead of last year's winner, Primoz Roglic of Slovenia and Jumbo Fisma. So, Which is a Dutch team, right? So we yeah, can it's, a, well, it's a Dutch uh, Finnish. Yeah. I think Fisma is a Finnish um, tech company. Oh, okay. So it's, it's a Dutch uh, Finnish hybrid. Yeah. That, uh, that reminds me of uh, Margrethe and his Nokia phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of things going around in circles, uh, 
the Dutch Grand Prix is uh, this weekend, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I have kind of this kind of uh, just sort of slipped up on the um, guardrail for me a bit. I think I suddenly realised it was Grand Prix weekend. I mean, last year we had this huge fanfare because it was the first Dutch Grand Prix in 36 years, and of course Max Verstappen was the favourite, and he won the race uh, off pole position, and there was a great cheer. I kind of feel this year. I mean, it is obviously a big event for Formula One fans, but you haven't quite had the same um, uh, Buzz, national level yeah. of excitement as we had no. last year. That's right, yeah. Even though I think 150,000 people more are expected to attend. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the the event itself is a lot lot bigger. But I think, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's not as... The, the buzz in the country is not as uh, high as it was last year, I yeah, think. Yeah, it hasn't quite captured uh, the public imagination, has it? And I suspect that's partly because Verstappen is just streets ahead in the Formula One Championship. We haven't talked about it much, uh, so much this year uh, on the podcast, but he's like, he's, he's 98 points ahead of his nearest actual rival, isn't he? I know his uh, teammate um, Sergio Perez is slightly closer, but he's not really a rival. Uh, Charles no. Leclerc is 98 points behind him. Um, and yeah. Verstappen has won nine of the 14 races so far. And, and since yesterday, he's also a knight of the road um, because uh, the king coughed up um, an, an, an honor <laughs> for him um, and made him an officer in the order of Aranya Nassau. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so yeah. I suppose we have to call him Sir Max now. No, we don't do that. I know you don't do that, no. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I sort of feel also, like in my head I still want to. Also, no <laughs> letters uh, behind his name. Uh, no. Because I think Lewis Hamilton is an MBE, isn't he? Yeah, I think. Yeah, he's a knight. No, he's been a uh, no, 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 knight a few grades up from an MBE. Um, so he is uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, but... He is an MBE, but an MBE on top of well, that, yes. he's knighted. Yeah. So I think yeah. his knighthood is separate from his MBE, I think. Yes, it is. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people are already calling, I saw on Twitter, uh, Max Verstappen, they, they're calling him Max Verstappen OBE. But yeah, yeah that's, that doesn't make any sense because no. he he's <laughs> not an officer in the order of the British Empire is no. of, of completely different order but that's yeah, yeah. that's fine um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, was, and you shouldn't call it the orange order either that's a different thing okay. <laughs> no. orange Nesso orange Nesso yeah yeah, but uh, yeah, he, he he was very happy with it. Usually, when he is awarded a prize or something, he is very cool and very reserved, and yeah, yeah it doesn't seem to really uh, impress him that much. But this time, he he, he was really moved by this, uh, yeah, lynchier. It's basically a lynchier, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a, a, a ribbon. He gets a yeah. Yeah, we call it a ribbon, even though it's yeah. a it's it's a number of grades higher than the ones that are handed out every um, uh, what is it every uh, uh, Queen's Day, Koningsdag. Yeah. Um, but he was very happy with it, so uh, yeah. Um, Good to see Max uh, looking excited for a change. Cause, uh, <laughs> exactly. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll also include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon if you've got any money left after your heating bill <laughs> at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You will earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast and the chance to ask us a question. My thanks to Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darach, and uh, next week uh, you'll be back with Paul and with uh, Robin Pascoe because uh, I'm off to uh, sunny Glasgow.
Kaffertijd. Kaffertijd? Kaffertijd? Ja. Ja, ja. De idee was wel, maar de executie was... Ja. Je bent de Glennis Grace van deze podcast. Ik ben de Glennis Grace van puns. 